Well, good morning. Uh, again, a little different this morning. Uh, it's a little odd to, to preach to a, an empty room, but I'm grateful that we get to have the ability to continue teaching the Word of God regardless of their circumstances, and grateful that you would join us online as well. We are going to be in Colossians chapter 3 this morning, Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. That's what we're going to be focusing on. You know, again, I just, I think this is an appropriate passage for us this morning, but also really for this year as we think about the changes and challenges that we may be facing, even right now, that we would look to God as our hope and as our peace, as our joy. Uh, I think that's one of the things we can give away easily is we can forget that there is God's joy to be found in all circumstances. So we're going to be teaching through just a very short passage, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, and I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. If you'll read with me, it says here in Colossians chapter 3, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And as we think through this passage, I want us to grasp some, some of those key things that are there. Over the last 10 months, all of us have experienced uh, many things, a myriad of things which may have caused fear, anxiety, frustration, hopelessness, perhaps anger. However, I, I can say with confidence those experiences should not be controlling or should not be the controlling or primary determination for how we think, how we feel or act, especially, especially in our relationship with God and in the fulfillment or the carrying out of his purposes. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, what we needed and what we, we still need today is the same thing. We need a clear understanding of who God is and the need of his reign, uh, his rule and authority in our lives. We need a personal, intimate relationship with our Creator and Savior, which serves, or at least it ought to serve, as the anchor in all the storms and darkness of this life. As we look at Colossians chapter 3, I pray that we would be assured or reassured of our relationship with God through Christ and confident in his power to sustain us in all circumstances. 
to sustain us in all circumstances. To know the things that he has hidden or safely stored up for those who are called disciples. As Pastor Doug has been teaching through the book of Luke and this last week talking about disciples, that we would know those things that he has hidden or safely stored up for those of us who are called disciples of Jesus. As one pastor put it, the book of Colossians is a clear communication of the divinity, the sufficiency, and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And in fact, in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, it says there, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And that right there ought to be an encouragement to us that God, through Christ, is holding all things together. He's been doing it since the foundation of the earth. He continues to do it today, and he will do it until eternity begins at his second coming. By him through him, for him, and in him, all things, whether we understand them or not, or, or, or feel good about what is taking place, they are firmly rooted in his will and purposes. Now, this truth should be enough to settle uh, my worried heart, our worried hearts, or unsettled hearts and minds, However, there is a qualifier in verse 1, something that must be present for God's peace to reign in our lives. Verse 1, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. As Paul writes to the church in Colossae, it is God's purpose for the disciples of Christ, the church, to know that Jesus was God in the flesh that he is sufficient for all life, and that he is the supreme and sovereign king. He also wanted them to know how they ought to live in response to these truths. However, the question we must each ask is this, are we his disciples? 1 Corinthians 2.14 but a match, natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. According to God, it is impossible for a person to know and experience the peace of God apart from the indwelling presence of his Spirit. And this is the only, then this is only possible that indwelling peace and presence is only possible if we have been raised up with Christ. You see, there in our passage it says raised up. And this implies that we were first buried with him or have died with him. And later on in the passage it makes that more explicit. 
This, that is, that we have believed in him and, and who he is, what he came to do through his death, burial, and resurrection. That we asked for forgiveness of our sins and surrendered or offered our lives to him. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. That is the cornerstone, the cornerstone or, or, or foundation of what it means to be a disciple, a believer, a follower of Jesus. And apart from this gracious gift of God, no one can rightly claim to be a disciple. The Lord's question through Paul to the disciples in Colossae and, and by default all these generations later to you and I is, are you indeed a disciple? If we are his disciples, then we have been raised to life. We are given a supernatural ability to experience life to the fullest extent. Jesus said it this way in John 10, 10, I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. A completely fulfilled life, regardless of what is taking place, what chaos, what tragedy, what sorrow, that we can still have an abundant life, one that is full of joy, purpose, one that is full of peace, and hope for others. As disciples, we are able to experience joy in all circumstances, peace amid calamity, wisdom when foolishness seems to reign, and patience when everything appears frustrating. More than that, more than that, we have access to a storehouse full of God's provision protection, and peace. Back to our passage, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. You see there in verse 1 and 2, it says, keep seeking and then it says, set your mind. Now, some of you may know that Samantha and I have three children. We have Brielle, who is our youngest, but we also have two other older children who are married. Now, that's because God has a sense of humor. When our two older kids, Gabe and Colleen, were little, I would often ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, they both had many desires, but I do remember Gabe wanting to be a fireman or a writer, and Colleen wanted to be a ballerina or a veterinarian. 
At times, I was likely overthinking my response to their childhood aspirations and, and according to Colleen, occasionally crushed those dreams uh, with my own sense of reality. However, I always asked them this question. Is that what God wants you to do? Whatever it was that they said, oh, that's what I want to be when I grow up, I, is that what God wants you to do? See, from an early age, Sam and I wanted the kids to be seeking God, to, to know his direction and purpose for their lives, to set their mind on him. Admittedly, this might have been a bit much um, for a five or six-year-old. But fortunately, there's such thing as grace. As I mentioned before, there is a storehouse full of God's gifts, and this storehouse is found only in Christ. In a vibrant, personal connection with Him. This is not a one-and-done kind of thing. A one-and-done seeking it requires a daily practice that firmly settles our hearts and minds upon him. It is a persistent and consistent pursuit of the heart and mind of Jesus in all things. As Pastor Doug mentioned again last week in the study of Luke 14, to be a disciple is to count the cost and it costs everything. There should not be an area of our lives lacking, as that passage said, salt. The preservation, healing, and flavor of Christ. Have we been raised? Are we his disciples? Are we seeking and do we have our minds set on the things that abide and dwell in him? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. As I mentioned earlier, though, it's implied in verse 1. Here in verse 3, it is clearly stated, we have died. If indeed we are his disciples, we have died. Paul wrote something very similar to the disciples in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20. For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, at the, at the moment of our conversion, our confession of faith, receipt of forgiveness and surrender to God through faith in Jesus, we died. However, Jesus also said, said that if we are to be his disciples, we must take up our cross daily. 
And in that passage that was taught last week, it talking about how we view the cross sometimes as entertainment or jewelry, but it was designed to put to death. And in, in, a, in this sense, it's designed to put to death our selfish desires, our plans based upon our own human understanding. We have died and we must commit to dying. That is a continual killing of our desires to climb off the altar and attempt to once again lay claim to our life. The life that we said when we said, Jesus, I am yours, the life that we, we surrendered to him, we somehow want to take it back. I know that that's happened in my own life. If indeed we have died and continue to die to our self-centered desires, submitting to God's direction, we will discover his storehouse. It's there in our passage. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden. It means to conceal or to store up or to protect. Our life, what, what we are or what we will be is concealed from this world. Not everything that is as believers can be seen by the natural human being. Furthermore, the rewards of this life are being stored up and protected. Those things that matter to God, those moments when we have fully fulfilled God's purpose for that moment, for that day, he says he restores those rewards for a future date. Our lives as disciples are hidden in Christ. Why is it hidden? Well, there's two, two reasons. One is to protect it, to, to protect it from thieves, from this world, from the enemy. But it's also to protect it from us and, and our, our, our tendencies to give in, to trade what is valuable to God, what he's done in us for something lesser. And then it's also to reveal a better glory. You see, if not for God's supernatural protection, this world and our lives would be destroyed. As been, has been said many times, Satan and his demonic forces are here for one purpose, one purpose, and that is to kill, steal, and destroy. It's to annihilate Satan is like the roaring, angry lion slinking in the dark, seeking someone to devour. He's not our friend. He's not mostly bad. He is all encompassing evil. His darkened world system is set against those who are children of the light. And he will go to any length any length to steal whatever light shines in his darkness. And if that were not enough, we must also contend with our own selfish 
desires. What God's word describes as the natural man, the flesh. Sin has corrupted every one of us. And until Jesus returns, there is a civil war inside each of us. The the dead man, the person we were before salvation, still has a foothold. There is a constant battle between the Spirit of God now dwelling in his disciples and the sinful person daily being put to death. I, I love American history especially the, the early, the West. Sitting Bull, a, a famous Lakota Sioux warrior and chief, described this internal battle in his own life. He said, inside of me there are two dogs. One is mean and evil, and the other is good, and they fight each other all the time. When asked which one wins, I answer, the one I feed the most. Which makes me ask, which one am I feeding? Which one am I feeding the most? Which one are you feeding the most? A little more binging on my favorite show, a little less praying and meditating on God's word a little more distraction and a little less commitment, a little more hoarding in my life and a little less giving. Proverbs 6, 10, and 11 says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then your poverty will come in like a drifter and your need like an armed man. It begins in the small areas of life. What we see is unimportant, but they are compromises. I've said it before, no one wakes up in the morning and thinks, well, today, today I'm going to leave my job, leave my family, abandon my children, and and bury myself in this world. No, it begins with one small compromise, which leads to another and another and another. And before we know it, the dog or the wolf we thought was our friend is dragging us now, kicking and screaming into the darkness. From the day Adam and Eve were sent out into the garden until today, the, wars, the war for souls has, has not ceased. 2020 certainly has been no exception. And from our perspective, the battle seems a little tipped in favor of evil. However, there is really good news, great news. The devil... His, his slaves, the demonic forces, and even our sinful nature are no match for the lion of the tribe of Judah, for Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 35 and 30 through, through 38. It says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? 
Will tribulation or trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Just it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have this security. We are hidden. We are protected by the very hand of God in a place that only God has access to right now. In Matthew chapter 7, God reminds us the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many through who, ent who enter through it. There are many who are serving evil and standing against you and me. However, there is no one, nothing in this physical or spiritual world which can steal, kill, or destroy what the Father has hidden in Christ, protected, stored up in Christ. But the question remains, who do we belong to? Who are we serving? Who are we feeding? Are we hidden in Christ? And are we daily seeking him and setting our minds on what matters most to our God and Savior? When I first came to Christ, this verse became the thing that I often held on to as I waffled back and forth, as, as God began to winnow things out of my life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 through 34, but seek first, as, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. Listen, if you're, if you're buried in the news, if you are buried in social media and all the voices and images that are competing for your peace and sanity, this passage has enough for us right there. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness today. Be content with what he has allowed in your life or brought into your life and seek him. Set your mind on him. If we are his disciples, we are hidden in Christ and our present and future life is protected. To be assured of this and to be effective in battle, we must be seeking his kingdom first. As Colossians 3.2 says, set our mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. But, but what does this mean? 
It is more than merely reading our Bibles and praying. Those are excellent things. We should be doing them. But it is also allowing the Holy Spirit to influence every facet of our lives. It is asking God to reorient our priorities. We want to set our life on a course and God is saying, no, didn't you give me your life? Doesn't it now belong to me in Christ? And am I not the one directing your steps? How do I view my time outside of work? My time at home, my vacation time. What belongs to God and how do I demonstrate his authority in each of those areas? How do I view my responsibilities as a, as a citizen of this nation and world? Uh, do I have dual citizenship? Or am I citizen of heaven, living out my life as a foreigner on this earth? Who receives 100% of my loyalty and how do I demonstrate that loyalty? How do I handle the resources at my disposal? Are they entrusted to me by God to be used as he sees fit? What informs my saving, my spending, my giving? The list could go on and on. In, in every aspect of this life, will I first consider, will we first consider the impact and the implications of our thoughts, words, and actions upon the name by which we claim to be called? So then, we are hidden in Christ for protection against the evil one of this world and the sinful nature residing in each of us. Verse 3 now, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. There are other reasons we are hidden in Christ. And it is a, the reason is to reveal a greater glory at the proper time. 1 John 3, 2, beloved, now you are children of God. This is what we are presently. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. There is something greater yet to be taking place. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. You see, because the glory, the full magnitude of his majesty and authority and power and love the love of Jesus is hidden. It is partially concealed. It is stored away and will only be understood and seen at the Father's appointed time. That's true for you and I. What we will be, who we are, as seen through the eyes of the Father, is yet to be understood. To be sure, there are many wonderful and powerful and amazing aspects to this life. The life we have as disciples of Jesus. When he enters our life, there is so much that he does and, and gives us access to. 
the simple fact of us being brought back from the dead. And, and I know we sometimes gloss over that, but that is the truth. We were dead and we are now alive, more alive than ever. We are taken out of sin and transported into eternal life. That is more than we can fully comprehend. Eternity with God. We are given the privilege of participating in God's grand and overwhelming plan. The formation of his kingdom, it's, it's incomprehensible, especially since we, since I was once an enemy, an enemy of God, as God's word says. I mean, the question I, I've often asked is, what king entrusts his former enemy to be the ambassador of his kingdom? Why would he choose to reveal himself in such a way that I would recognize his rule and reign even though I was one of his enemies and then he would promote me, promote you and I as messengers, representatives of his kingdom? These are just a few of the things. They're just mere glimpses of God's glory that are yet to be revealed in Christ and in you and me. Back to verse 4. Note, note the beginning of verse 4. When Christ who is our life. Verse 4 links us back to verse 1. If we are raised with Christ, then our life is Christ. What was his life? What was he like? John 1.14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This was how God described himself when he came in the person, in the flesh. Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. He possessed these two character traits which filled his life. John 18, 37, Jesus is now preparing to go to the cross. He's standing before Pilate, and therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am king, that I am a king. For this purpose I have been born, and for this I have come into the world. And then he tells us, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You see, truth is what informed and directed the grace of Jesus. However, it was not as if truth was greater than grace. In Jesus, grace and truth existed equally in full measure, 100% of each. And if our lives are to be described as in Christ, if indeed we are hidden in Christ, then we will reflect these two attributes, 
truth and grace. You might be able to say truth and love, God's love. And we need to be consistently connected to the Spirit of God to dispense grace and truth in the proper way at the proper time and in the proper amounts. We need to be full of His truth and grace. Now, sadly, over the last several weeks, there have been many Christians, and I will admit to being one of them at times, apparently placing our hope, our peace, um, our joy in the outcome of an election. Or, as we move out of 2020 into 2021, the eradication of the COVID virus. When did I, when did we exchange what is hidden in Christ what he has given us and is storing up and protecting for us, when did we exchange that? The purpose and glory provided and protected by Jesus, when did we exchange that for what God has described as perishable? Isaiah chapter 40, verses 23 through 24, it's said there, he brings peace princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. You see, when Jesus returns, there will be nothing left of this world. It will perish. Whatever we have hoped in or trusted in apart from faith in God through Jesus Christ will wither in the fire of his furnace and be blown away like chaff, like ash. Why then are we, why then am I at times holding on to things as if they will provide peace and purpose and hope and joy and contentment? This is why we need to be, keep on seeking, setting our minds. As his disciples, we have agreed to his terms. We have accepted his life in exchange for ours. We have been raised to new life with a new purpose. He has given us the ability to see again, to see and understand the mysteries of heaven. He has provided his spirit to fill us with power that we might display some of his glory on this earth and majesty and experience not only the most rewarding life possible this side of heaven, but to share it, to impart it to others. He has hidden our future. He has stored it up and protected it from theft and harm. No one can take it. What we will be is a glorious treasure to be revealed when he returns for his kids. When he returns for you and for me. How then 
ought we to live today, this Sunday, January 10th? Seek him and set our hearts and minds on him, for he is our life. May our lives look like his, full of grace and truth. I pray that as we step into this new year now, that we would live passionately for him as if there were no tomorrow on this earth. Remembering, reminding ourselves daily that we are hidden in Christ. Amen? God, we come to you. We know that we are, I know I'm a broken person and that I need more of your grace. I, I need to bury more of your truth in my heart and my mind, that it would guard my heart, my heart and my mind in you, that I need to set my mind, I need to be seeking you throughout the day, to be giving thanks to you. to be diligently looking for others who, like me in the past, have lost their way or have never found you. Impart to us today a fresh, a renewed vision of following you passionately. Submitting ourselves once again to your authority and your direction so that you would be seen, that people would gain a glimpse of heaven through these clouded mirrors. And that they would turn and glorify you. That they would run to you as as we have, and I pray we continue to do, run to you for hope, for joy, for contentment, for satisfaction, to find our identity in. Help us to run to you by the power of your spirit. We ask you in your name, Jesus. Amen.